Have you ever had that feeling when you leave the doctor's office and think, what did they just say? Or have any burning questions you didn't have time to ask? Or, I don't remember anything that just happened in that appointment. Or even, were they speaking my language? Yeah, us too. That's where we come in. We're the podcast dedicated to helping you understand what your doctor said about that thing you saw your doctor for in the first place. We understand it can be an information overload. We're here to help. I'm Dr. Josh Fletcher, a family medicine resident at Northrop General Hospital in Toronto. And I'm Jake Bloom, the person who doesn't know what's happening at the doctor's office. Welcome to Dr. Dictionary. I just want to make a quick disclaimer that this podcast isn't meant to be a replacement for a traditional doctor's appointment, nor is it meant to be providing medical advice. Rather, it's meant to be a supplement to your doctor's visit and explain why your doctor asked what they ask and help you explain the diagnosis and common treatment plans. Lastly, doctors often have very different styles and approaches to a patient and their diagnosis. If we discuss a question or treatment plan that your doctor didn't mention, that doesn't mean that they were wrong. This could represent a different in practice style or simply the fact that your doctor knows you better than we do and has created a treatment plan that better fits your lifestyle. Welcome to another edition of Dr. Dictionary. Uh, This is our four-part series on contraception. In the first episode, we really went into the basics of contraception, and now we're going to be talking a bit more about hormonal contraception. We discussed how this works and how it's related to your periods last time. Can you quickly just mention which options are available for hormonal contraception? Sure. So we have a pill, a patch, a vaginal ring, an injection, and IUD available for hormonal options. There's also an implantable device that will be available hopefully soon to patients in Canada. Keep in mind the norm is to try different doses of different medications or different methods to find the one that's right for you. So it's not always going to be that we start you on one of these options and that's it. It's very common that we have to try multiple different things. In last episode, you mentioned that there were some non-pregnancy benefits. Exactly. Is that the right way of putting it? Um, yeah. Is there, there are some non-pregnancy benefits to these hormonal medications. Could you remind the audience what those are? So like we talked about in the previous episode, these hormones have other actions in the body too. And will have non-contraceptive or non-pregnancy benefits as well. They can help with the cramping associated with periods. They can help you if you have heavy periods, if you have pain related to fibroids, if you have acne or male pattern hair growth, and they can help regulate your cycle as well if it's initially irregular. They also can lower the risk of certain types of cancer, like ovarian cancer or endometrial or uterus lining cancer. It sounds like a really good, uh, really good option for a lot of people. But are there times when someone shouldn't use hormonal contraceptions? So there are scenarios when hormonal contraception may not be right for you. Your doctor may have asked you these questions or thought of these scenarios before recommending any specific option. Some examples. If you have active liver disease or liver cancer. If you have uncontrolled high blood pressure. If you've had a history of blood clots in the leg or lungs, either you have one now or you've had one in the past. Sometimes if you have a known blood clotting disorder or diseases of your veins or arteries. 
certain types of cancers can be dependent on these hormones like estrogen, and we would avoid them in these situations. Some types of hormonal contraception we can't use if you're a smoker over 35 years old. Also, if you've previously had migraines with aura, which are weird visual symptoms you might have before having a headache. And of course, sometimes after having a baby, we wouldn't use specific types of hormonal contraceptions. Now, there may be interactions with some other medications you may be taking as well, and your doctor can help you in this regard. Other than in those instances, are these medications dangerous? No, they are not dangerous. We would not be prescribing them to you if we felt that they were dangerous and if we didn't feel like the benefits outweighed the risks of these medications. However, like anything else, there are some risks and there are some side effects. They may increase your risk of having a blood clot, but this is very low. So this isn't a huge problem. And that's why, for example, we don't like to use them in people who have a history of blood clots. And do these pills prevent people from getting STDs as well? So no. As we talked in the previous episode, STIs, or sexually transmitted infections, are not prevented with hormonal contraception. They help prevent babies or prevent pregnancies, but they do nothing for sexually transmitted infections. I see, I see. Mm -hmm. We still need other methods to protect against them. What are some of the side effects of these medications? Because we're using hormones to help with contraception, there are some side effects that are related to the actual hormones themselves. Now, with anything, it's really important to note that not everybody has side effects. Once we find the right dose of medication for you, you really shouldn't be experiencing the side effects. They come when hormone levels are too low or too high. However, the exception is weight gain, which can happen at any dose. Some examples that you might have. Breakthrough bleeding or spotting. Other classic PMS symptoms like bloating, breast tenderness, and mood changes. If the hormones are too low, you can have vaginal dryness. If they're too high, you can have nausea, fatigue, headaches, irritability, increasing in your cramps. Again, once we find the right dose for you, we're less worried about these side effects, but they are a possibility when trying to find that dose. And how do you actually go about finding the right dose for someone? So we always start with the lowest dose possible and increase from there. For some people, that's all they need. They only need the lowest dose. But for others, we might need to escalate to higher and higher doses. I see. How does taking the pill actually work? So there are many different formulations of the pill. A common formulation is a 21-7 pack, meaning we have 21 days of hormones, and then we have seven days of sugar pills. And this is when your period will be, over those seven days. And this gives you a 28-day cycle. There's also a 24-4 pack, 24 active days, 4 days of the placebo or sugar pills. Now, interestingly enough, there's actually one version of the pill that you take every single day for 3 months. And therefore, your cycle lasts that entire 3 months. And again, this isn't a problem. You actually don't need to have your period every single month. And a pill like this can help decrease some of the menstrual-related symptoms and the nuance or cost of having your period every single month. So discussing what option is preferable to you with your doctor and that shared decision-making process is really important. When does someone start taking the pill? So it's totally safe to start the pill the day it's prescribed to you. 
It can be any time of the week, any time of day. It doesn't matter. However, you're not necessarily protected from getting pregnant right away. If you started right after your period, right after the last bleeding day, then you're home free. You don't really need to worry about another method. However, if you start the pill right when you get it in your mid-cycle, then you need approximately one week of added protection still against pregnancy. And this would be using another method of birth control, like condoms. Now, if you want to rather be safe than sorry, we recommend just using condoms or another method of birth control for seven days, regardless of when you start the medication. But if you're started again right after your period, there's no risk of pregnancy. So you're saying it doesn't really matter when you start taking the pill? Exactly. It doesn't matter when during the day, but as long as you're consistent. I see. Some people find it helpful to do it right when waking up. Some people find it helpful to do it right before going to bed. Some people have an alarm on their phone to remind them to take the pill. Whatever works for you to remember to take it every single day. And what happens if you miss a pill? So that's a great question. And it depends on how many pills you've missed and the amount of time that's between the first pill and the next pill. If you miss one pill or miss one day, or basically missed under 48 hours, you can just retake the pill from where you left off and go from there, even if that means taking two pills at once. However, if you've missed two or more days or over 48 hours, then it might not be effective anymore. In this case, you'll need a second type of contraception for seven days or for a week again, just like you were starting the pill from scratch. In this case, you want to take the most recent pill as soon as possible, even if that means taking two pills at once. However, discard any previous pills that you might have missed. If you missed your pills during the last week of hormones, for example, days 15 to 21 of a typical 28-day pack, then skip the hormone-free pills at the end of the pack or the last seven days and start a new pack the next day. If you're unable to start a new package, then you would need backup contraception like condoms again for another seven days before you're able to start a new pack. So to summarize, because it's complicated, take your most recent missed pill with the next dose, discard any previous missed pills, use backup birth control for a week, and you may need to skip the hormone-free pills at the end of the pack, depending on when the missed pill was. If you miss just one, double up the next day and continue as normal. Now, what happens if you've missed multiple pills and haven't been using any other methods of contraception like condoms? In this scenario, you might be at risk of pregnancy. And I'd encourage you to reach out to your doctor about emergency contraception or about your options moving forward. And our fourth episode in this series will be talking more about this. So let's talk a bit more about the patch and the ring. What are these methods and how good are they? So these are other different ways than a pill to get hormones into your body. They can be placed on the skin or in the vagina, and then you don't have to think about them for three weeks. In terms of the ring, the most common one you'll hear about is the Nuva ring. It releases hormones like the pill does into the vagina, and it does a very well job controlling your cycle, regulating how heavy your periods are, and making them occur at normal times, and have similar benefits to the pill. Now, the ring can lead to some local irritation and discharge, but not in everybody. And can you feel the ring during sex? The majority of people say no. So what can you tell me about the patch? So it goes on the skin, either on the arm, the stomach, the buttock, or the thigh. It can stay on for about a week without thinking about it, 
and you change it at the same time each week. It stays on while showering, while exercising, while swimming, etc. And it can cause some skin irritation around it, but other than that, it's a very good method. The only thing to note, though, is it may be less effective if you weigh over 90 kilograms. And your doctor can help you choose the right method for you if this is the case. And what can you tell me about IUDs? So these are small T-shaped devices that we place in the cervix, or again, the cap to the uterus. They create an unhappy, hostile environment for eggs and sperm. Now, there are different types of IUDs, and in this episode, we're going to focus on hormonal IUDs. And the next episode, we'll talk about the non-hormonal IUD or the copper IUD. Now, what they do is they release hormones locally in the cervix, in the uterus, and in the vagina. It causes the same effects that the hormones you take through the pill or the patch or the ring do. So overall, they're quite effective at decreasing pregnancy. And so what are the uh, benefits of IUDs? So it's one of the most effective methods for birth control. You don't have to think about it for five to seven years. Wow. It also has other benefits as well. It can help with cramping, can make your periods lighter. And some people actually never get periods again once being put in an IUD while it's still in, which can be quite nice for these women. I've heard they can be very painful to insert. Is that something that's true? So yes, while they can be painful to insert, this pain is time limited, meaning it doesn't last for long. There are also smaller IUDs that we can use for women who haven't had a baby yet. And your doctor will discuss his options with you beforehand before putting the IUD in. For example, you can take an Advil before your appointment, or they may prescribe you medication that you can actually place within the vagina to help with this pain. Are there other risks um, with getting an IUD? So there's always a risk that an IUD can be displaced or expelled from where it's supposed to be. But this is a small risk and it's highest within the first year of getting the IUD. There's also a risk that when the IUD is placed, a small hole can accidentally be made in the cervix or in the uterus, but this really isn't common. Also, this isn't really a risk, but it can be quite expensive. But keep in mind this is a one-time fee for five to seven years of contraception. Now, another misconception is that IUDs decrease your chance of having a baby in the future, and this is not true. What are some of the reasons not to get an IUD? So again, all of contraception is a shared decision-making process between you and your doctor. We want to help you choose the option that is right for you. Obviously, if you're currently pregnant, then you shouldn't get an IUD. If you currently have a sexually transmitted disease or abnormal vaginal bleeding, it might not be the best time for IUD. We'd want to treat that or find the underlying cause first. We might not also use them if your uterus has a different shape to it. And your doctor will discuss this further if this is the case for you. Now, it's important to note, though, that since the hormones in an IUD are only being released locally, it won't have such a huge effect in other parts of the body like the pill would. It won't really help you with your acne. It won't really help with the symptoms of PMS like that bloating that you might already have or the breast tenderness. If these are more worrisome to you and you really want help with these symptoms as well, then an IUD might not be the best option. Or you might look for treatment elsewhere other than these hormonal options. What are some of the side effects of an IUD? So when we first put it in, you might have some irregular bleeding. 
And again, like the pill, you might have some of the same hormonal side effects that can happen. But again, it's less so because these hormones aren't really absorbed as well as the pill is and distributed around the body. Again, they act locally. And you were saying some of the benefits of an IUD is the length in which you can leave them in? Exactly. We can leave them in for around five years or sometimes even longer. So you don't really need to think about it. Are there other types of hormonal contraception as well? So there are. And these types of contraception only have progesterone in them and not estrogen. Now, they're used in patients who have breast cancer, who might be actively breastfeeding, or if these other methods didn't really work out for you. They have fewer drug interactions and can be useful in individuals who actually have seizure disorders. And they can also be quite effective methods of contraception. Um, what are some specific examples of progesterone-only contraception? So firstly, there's a progesterone-only pill. This can be useful if you can't take estrogen for whatever reason or you're breastfeeding. Now, because it's only progesterone, they do have fewer non-contraceptive or non-pregnancy benefits. And it does have side effects from the progesterone. Those are those classic PMS symptoms again, the mood changes, the headaches, the breast tenderness. There's also an injectable form of contraception. This is a very long-lasting, safe method, and it really doesn't interfere with most medications. Like I said earlier, if you can't use estrogen for whatever reason, or if you're breastfeeding, this can be an option for you, and it's helpful if you suffer from seizures. One more fact about the injection, it has a very high rate of causing you to no longer have periods. How often do you get the injection? Every three months or so. And are there any downsides of this? So yes, it has a very high rate of side effects. Breakthrough bleeding or spotting, those PMS changes like waking and mood changes. However, a caveat is, unlike the pill, where you can stop it if you have side effects, since you're getting an injection every three months, these side effects will last for three months until you reach the next injection. There are also some questions about if the injection may be related to decreased bone density or the thickness of the bones. We're not really sure. One other thing, if you're thinking about getting pregnant and you're on the injection, it can take much longer between when you stop the injections and getting pregnant than the other methods. You may have to wait up to one year after stopping it to regain fertility and be able to have a baby. I guess that leads to my next question, which is what if you want to get pregnant and what would be the best thing to do? Before even getting into the specifics, it's important to talk to your doctor about all the necessary planning and steps that need to be done and discuss stopping your contraception. Depending on the method you use for contraception, there may be a different amount of time it takes to get your fertility back. For the pills, the rings, the patches, you can get pregnant right away after stopping these medications. That's why we counsel you to use condoms or another barrier method after missing some doses, because there is a risk of pregnancy right away. If you have an IUD, first of all, it has to be removed. And then once removed, the fertility usually is restored after about one cycle or one period. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get pregnant right away, but this is the earliest that you can get pregnant. Now, for progesterone-only methods, it depends on what you're doing. For the pill, it's thought that this does not delay return of fertility. But again, like I just talked about for the injection, it can take up to one year to get your fertility back. Now, one other thing to mention. 
there's no risk to the baby by taking the pill or other forms of contraception prior to getting pregnant, even if you get pregnant right after. And lastly, what resources do you recommend for further information on this subject? So like I spoke about in the first episode, the one-stop shop best resource I can think of is called sexandyou.ca. It's a great website, has tons of information about different methods of contraception and other topics related to sexual health. Another amazing resource for more information on IUDs is a YouTube channel by Dr. Dervatis, who is a gynecologist up in Newmarket, Ontario. She has multiple different videos about IUDs, some of which are only a minute long, which answers so many common questions that we talked about in the podcast and goes into more depth about some of these topics as well. And as always, if you have any questions, you can email us at thedoctordictionary at gmail.com or tweet us at thedocdictionary. I'd like to thank Dr. David Eisen, Chief of Family Medicine at Northrop General Hospital in Toronto, for peer reviewing this episode, as well as Nick and John Bragagnolo for recording the original music. So that wraps up our second part of our four-part series on contraception. Hope you join us next time when we'll be discussing non-hormonal contraception. <laughs>